Welcome to the Strange Brew podcast, and my name's Jason, and that is the fantastic single by Traffic Paper Sun. That's the mono version 
from 1967, and that is the theme of today's show, the British Psychedelic Sounds of 1967, because Grapefruit Cherry Red have got a new fantastic set out, Too Much Sun Will Burn, and that's the follow-up to Grapefruit's hugely successful anthology, Let's Go Down and Blow Our Minds. And as always, I've got the compiler David Wells. A huge welcome, David. Hi, Jason. So this is a follow-up to a set, and I have to say 1967 is probably my favourite year, certainly for singles. Bit of a question here, what was it like trying to compile yet another set when you'd already released one covering the same era? Obviously, as you mentioned, we did do one, uh, that was seven years ago now, uh, Let's Go Down and Blow Our Minds. Um, that's apparently the biggest selling Cherry Red box set they've ever done. So, yeah, at that point, though, we um, we didn't have an agreement with Universal, who owned about 60 or 70% of the music made in that year. So we we got plenty of choice in terms of uh, compiling a new set. There's no overlap in terms of tracks. Traffic, you know, Paper Sun obviously gave us the title, Too Much Sun Will Burn, uh, that kind of slightly cautionary message rather than the uh, the kind of uh, euphoric, let's go down and blow our minds. So it's kind of like the other the other side of the coin, if you like. Paper Sun, yeah, we j- just heard that, the original mono single version in this country. Um, it was butchered slightly in America. They also had a, a mono version come out as a single. And I think over here it came out, I mean, the, the single came out in May 67. I think the album came out seven months later. And that was a separate stereo mix. So, um, yeah, normally that's the one that's compiled. So it's nice to have the original UK mono version uh, kicking us off, really. And as always, it's a real mix of material. You've got the big hitters of the era, some of the key singles, but some lesser-known material, and that includes major artists as well as lesser-known artists. That's right. It's uh, it's a kind of a mixed bag in terms of uh, different elements of the scene all coming together. So we've got like, um, the more folky end of the spectrum, the popular end, the kind of one or two of vaudevillian tracks. And um, I think we're next going to hear Alex Harvey's Horizons. Yeah, Alex Harvey had made a little bit of a name for himself with the uh, with his soul band, but didn't really break through in this country anyway. He did okay in Germany, I think. Uh, in 67, like everybody else, he thought, I'll put together a psychedelic band. So he's got the rhythm section of uh, a one-off single band called The Antiques, famous for having three E's in their, in their name. <laughs> yeah, he get, became involved with Southern Music after one of the songwriters there, Eric Wolfson, who comes from Glasgow, who came from Glasgow, um, tried to resurrect his career, and also The Poets. So, uh, yeah, we've got a poet's track on here as well, um, involving Wolfson. But this is, this is Horizons, which is July 67. Um, his psychedelic band is called Giant Moth. And not surprisingly, Decker thought, well, I'm not going to put it out in that name. And they just stuck with Alex Harvey, but it's a Giant Moth track. <laughs> Confusion 
next song is Snowman by Tintin Abbey and I assume this is part of the recent excellent Tintin Abbey complete recordings collection that's been released? That's right, yes, this is one of the key tracks really. Um, it was recorded in December 67 right at the end of the year. It was intended initially to be the second Tintin Abbey single but um, guitarist Don Smith then kind of, uh, well, it was one of those um, did he fall or was he pushed situations but anyway he left in, in December and the rest of the band decided it was too synonymous with, with his his work um, on on that track. And so they abandoned the track and uh, brought in Paul Brett, previously been a session guitarist, and went on to record in a variety of styles. But this was definitely the heavily psychedelic intended follow-up to the B-side and Vacuum Cleaner. Sadly, it didn't uh, didn't come out, and uh, it's only really got an official release um, recently with, with the... Uh, the Tintin Abbey overview that we did, but uh, fabulous track, lots of work in the studio, lots of backward sections, Mellotron, etc., etc. So everything you could possibly wish for, really, and a great song as well. It really is astonishing the quality of the material that's been released on those complete recordings set, including this track, Snowman. It really is a, a what could or should have been. It just shows, once again, how random fame, popularity, hit records are, really. They had everything going for them, it seemed to me. Uh, great songwriters, um, accomplished musicians. They had um, a very wealthy uh, Nigel Samuel in their corner, who was behind uh, International Times as well. Uh, had his own label, um, uh, though the uh, Tintin Abbey um, tracks were, were given to DRAM, but um, it just didn't happen for them for some reason. Just one of those things, really. But uh, the quality of the material is staggering. It's amazing that this stuff's been left untouched for well over 50 years. There's a snowman in my garden 
that I've been building all today and it's smiling It's an honest piece of snow and I'd like my friends to know how fat and jolly it seems like a job for red cream but it's One of the uh, key albums that was released in 1967, released in the run-up to Christmas 1967, is The Who Sell Out, which is a fantastic concept album, 
of the era which was strung together with jingles and that kind of thing yeah i must admit it's it's one of my favorite albums of all time um so it was great to get access to it um who set out yeah um Shortly after the government had outlawed uh, Pirate Radio, this is kind of their homage to uh, stations like Radio London. As you say, lots of um, little sort of jokey jingles. And there's a great sense of humour going through the album. And this is a John Entwistle's song, Silas Stingy. And I think Entwistle said he wanted to write songs like nobody else was writing. And um, he did really, although obviously <laughs> his, his songs then uh, did um, have a following amongst other musicians, I think, uh, if you listen to Father's Name is Dad, the far single on the other side, True Cool Toffee World, they do sound like things that John Entwistle could have written. But uh, yeah, Silas Stingy, one of the greatest uh, greatest tracks, I think, on the Who Set Out. So yeah, again, nice to have that on here. Once upon a time there lived an old miser man by the name of Silas Stingy. He carried all his money in a little black box. Which was heavy as a rock with a big bad lock. All the little kids would shout when Silas was allowed. Money, 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 man, money, money, man. There goes Minji Stingy. There goes Minji Stingy. Money, 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 man, money, money, man. Who keep rising in, in the estimations of listeners, and that's Kaleidoscope from the 
a real contender for top tranche of albums released in, in that era, Tangerine Dream. A highlight of that dive into yesterday. Yeah, we just spoke about um, Tintin Abbey um, not making it and it being hard to establish exactly why. That applies even more so to Kaleidoscope, who, who had that kind of greater commercial outlook, really. Um, all their songs, you know, three-minute little psychedelic pop gems, uh, not that dissimilar to what the Bee Gees were doing. So again, maybe it's just a case of having the right manager, the right record company in your corner. But diving to yesterday, it's staggering to think this is just just an album track, you know, because it, it sounds, it, it's got such a hook on it. It sounds like it would have been a perfect um, contender for radio play. But then nothing Kaleidoscope did, even the more commercial three-minute pop songs actually broke through. So um, again, just another mystery. And obviously partly it's down to the fact that there were so many sort of bands of huge quality at the time. I guess there just wasn't room for everybody. Despite being on a major label as well. Major label, yeah. Fontaine had plenty of hits at the time, um, but not with Kaleidoscope. Uh, and I know Peter Daltrey, the uh, the lead singer, the uh, lyricist, has spoken before about how he was crushed by the fact that they just couldn't get a hit single.
close your eyes For after all We can but share these minutes Battalions in baby blue Are bursting beige balloons The water pistols are all filled have another track released on Fontana and a major band, the Mindbenders, My Day and Age. This was the B-side of their cover of The Letter, wasn't it? Yeah, it's one of those things you look at and you think, well, I tried to get uh, get in quick. There are quite a few bands of that nature as well, of course, in, in British pop in the 60s, including the Hollies, um, who apparently were waiting for stopping the name of love to be a flop before they covered it. So, yeah, the Mindbenders, they covered um, Blessed Are the Lonely. They did uh, the box tops, hit the letter. But when you hear something like My New, My New Day and Age, uh, which is about um, the amount of skyscrapers going up in, in Eric Stewart's native Manchester, um, when you hear this, you, you think, well, surely this might have been something that would strike people as being original rather than just a clone of an American hit. And I think uh, I think it was given to... Family um, might even have been still the Farinas at that point. I think they they recorded it as a demo, but it didn't get any further. But uh, yeah, I think the Mindbenders just struggled from the fact that a groovy kind of love um, was a massive hit, and people pigeonholed them as as being that kind of um, ballad type um, group, really. He's gone from my new day and age. 
discussed Tintin Abbey who had a set out recently and, and next we have Living Daylights who also had a collection out on Grapefruit and um, this track Up So High wasn't released when it was recorded That's right, yes, what happened was they had um, they were given Let's Live For Today which had been a minor success in, in Europe um, they were signed by Dick James, you know, Beatles publisher uh, and one of his staff members wrote a new lyric for the song Let's Live For Today the Living Daylights issued it, but the hit went in America to the grassroots, you know, an American band who, who covered it. But for a while, it did look as if the Living Daylights version would reach the top 30. And so Dick James got them to quickly record uh, an album. They didn't really have enough material. They they recorded a couple of Beatles songs, including Getting Better, which obviously um, just come out on Sgt. Pepper. One or two kind of soul-based things. Um but also about a handful of um, songs written by uh, Garth Watroy, um, who was the bassist in the band, and his brother Norman was on guitar. Garth wrote Up So High, which mentions LSD, so it was kind of pretty vogueish for mid-'67. But the single eventually didn't make it, and so the album didn't come out. But uh, yeah, we, we put out, finally got hold of the tapes and put it out with mono and stereo versions of everything couple of other singles they did as well so uh, that's a nice little set it's not going to change anybody's life but it, it again it's another window into a world that wouldn't otherwise be open and, and a reminder of just how much quality there was around at the time <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm 
from the late 60s and, and 1967 around their commercial peak for singles was Dave D, Dozy, Beaky, Mick and Titch and they were giving the Beatles a run for money in terms of chart success and kind of forgotten now but listening back whether the whole point about manufactured or not manufactured doesn't really matter they were great singles yeah, I, I think uh, there are bands who are not in fashion because they're considered to be pop marionettes or something like that, and the uh, the movers and shakers don't really rate them. Um, but uh, they were a talented band. The guitarist, um, Titch Amy, was uh, highly regarded. Same, same with the Tremolos uh, guitarist as well. They were certainly very capable musicians, but um, they had this reputation of being... Um, a manager or producer kind of uh, band that was put together solely to have top 20 hits, big hits. And, and obviously that, that is the basis of those singles, but they're, they're very well-made records, um, quite daring for the time in terms of different instrumentation used. But there's some really good B-sides that the band wrote themselves as well, and this is one of them, The Sun Goes Down, which is kind of like a cult thing amongst psychedelic fans, but um, it's not been on the compilation before of this kind of uh, material as far as I'm aware so uh, yeah it's nice to uh, to bring it to people's attention really
now we have Nirvana and Tiny Goddess, this being the single version. So this was quite early in Nirvana's career, wasn't it? It is. In fact, it's only three months after Patrick Campbell Lyons, who was the, the brains behind Nirvana, really, had, had recorded as Hat and Tie. This is the first single. What people tend to know is the remake that's on um, the All of Us album, their second album, uh, the following year. So it's quite interesting to hear how Tiny Goddess differs in terms of the vocal and the backing when it was originally recorded, the original was a July 67 single. Yeah, again, um, a band that didn't, uh, did have a little bit of success, I guess, but not as much as, as the kind of like uh, melodicism and um, pop hooks deserved, really. And this was, in this early phase, they were actually a six-piece at the time? Yeah, they had, um, uh, initially they had uh, Sylvia Schuster on, on cello. Subsequent to the first couple of singles, I think Patrick Campbell Lyons made the decision to bring Nirvana down to a duo, just him and uh, Alex Spiropoulos, I think is the pronunciation. And, and generally, Nirvana are now known as a duo, even though those early singles, um, they, they were a, a fully-fledged band at that point. Don't try to humor me With letters I can't read 
Now we have Made in Sheffield, Amelia Jane, and there's no guessing from where this uh, this group <laughs> hailed from. Yeah, again, they only made one single, and they've kind of been written out of history a little bit. It's a great, uh, great pop single, 67. They were actually initially the um, the backing band for for Joe Cocker. And in fact, they wrote the uh, the first single after he signed to Denny Cordell at DRAM, Margarine. But during the recording sessions for Margarine, Denny Cordell decided that a couple of them weren't up to it, and uh, he only kept Chris Stanton from the band. They went on to write for Dave Berry and one or two others, but uh, again, this this is kind of um, something that the major labels, Universal, don't claim. Uh, unfortunately, we were approached by one of the band, and uh, we were able to license uh, license it from them. So again, first time this has ever appeared on a legitimate compilation. And with the right information about the band, which has always been like, a, who are these guys? But uh, so we've now got the full lineup of, of people who made the record. So yeah, it's always nice to um, to include something like that, which is kind of known, but still a little bit of a mystery. So uh, yeah, it's it's um, another great single, and uh, yeah, hopefully it'll bring it to a slightly wider audience. <laughs> Now we have David Bowie and one of his great early period singles, Silly Boy Blue, and this also got recorded by Billy Fury, didn't it? 
Dadra, yes, Billy Fury covered it, I think, a few months later. This has always kind of intrigued me. Um, I'm never quite sure what to make of the first Bowie album, because obviously we know what then came uh, after that. It does sound slightly odd. It's the Anthony Newley aspect of certain things. I think it's that thing where where he's obviously into the Velvet Underground, and yet the album owes more to Anthony Newley with that exaggerated Cockney accent. So, and and it, it sounds to me, and I've always said this, that it sounds like Anthony Newley writing a bunch of songs inspired by Keith Wardhouse's first novel, There Is A Happy Land. Yeah. And City Boy Blue, apparently Bowie was fascinated at the time with uh, Buddhism and, and uh, Tibet in general. And when you think the song before this, um, well, the single before this is The Laughing Gnome. Yeah, it's uh, it's a world away from that. And like I say, even though I can see virtue in that first Bowie album, I can also see why it didn't really make any impression at the time. But this was a song that certainly in the last few decades of his life, David returned to... That's right. He recorded it for um, a project called Toy, which was kind of revisiting his early songs. But he was held in such low esteem. It sounds bizarre to think now that 20 years ago, he's held in such low esteem that his record company said, no, that's not a good idea at all. <laughs> yeah, Listen to us. We know what we're talking about. Um, so, uh, yeah, Silly Boy Blue, great song. And uh, to me, much as I love Uncle Arthur, <laughs> this, is, this is probably the highlight of that first album for me. Mountains of Laza
the easy beats heaven and hell and this was the period where they were recording tracks to and try and get a, a hit to follow up friday on my mind yeah friday on my mind had been their big one and um they'd obviously come over from australia to crack it in england hooked up with shell talmy uh, obviously had the, uh, the pedigree having worked with the the kinks and the who talmy's first production with them was friday on my mind as i said in the sleeve notes instant classic but they couldn't quite follow it up. And they went back to Olympic and worked with Glyn Johns, who was just making his name as a producer, really, having been uh, an assistant to tell me earlier. Did well in Australia, but um, just stalled outside the top 50 here. And the fact the BBC banned it um, didn't help its chances. Uh, it was also a problem in America where they weren't even able to call it heaven and hell. It had to be just retitled heaven because hell was something that that wasn't suitable for the pop kids listening to the radio apparently uh, and they changed the lyric as well to, um, from discovering someone else in your bed to discovering that her lover gone dead so yeah it's um it's kind of uh, sobering to think how how straight laced the music industry the um, bbc were in 67 when everything was getting slightly weird uh, it was kind of despite pop radio rather than because of it Radio 1 wasn't around all year, was it? No, Radio 1 wasn't around when um, when this was re- uh, released in June 67. And I always see people on the internet saying, oh, the BBC banned it, otherwise, you know, Radio 1 got behind it, it'd been a hit. Well, Radio 1 wasn't there, so uh, so it certainly wouldn't have been. But, um, yeah, Pirate Radio was on its last legs in a way. So, I mean, to me, it's a great song. Whether it's a great single is another matter. It's interesting listening to the Easy Beats material from the late 60s it it really is a band looking for a sound that's right they were desperate to get another hit so you had things like hello how are you which is nice but um Mm. it's a ballad basically and uh yeah they they were struggling a little bit for direction i think um but they were still making great records and uh like i say heaven and hell is a really strong track just maybe not a not a single really but uh, obviously 55 56 years later we don't have to worry about that sort of thing hell is knowing that your face has gone red discovering someone else in your bed Got me going between heaven and hell The ups and downs of views got me so I can stand up and yell Stand up and yell. You're gonna rock, but I know you. Still let notice 
So now we've got Elton John and Nina. So this is this is a track that was first came out officially on the uh, Record Store Day LP Regimental Sergeant Zippo that collected Elton's possible first album, or as it could have been. Yeah, it was kind of viewed as an album at the time, uh, Regimental Sergeant Zippo. Started recording it in November 67, uh, which is when Nina was recorded, the, the track that we're about to hear. And then it was um, kind of completed in around March, April time. So this is really about the only track that qualified um, put in for this and didn't really expect to get it. (laughs) So I was pleasantly surprised when it was cleared by by Universal. Yeah, um, interesting. This is um, obviously Reg Dwight has just become Elton John and is looking around for a direction. Um, What was popular at the time? Sergeant Pepper. So... Let's go with that. And uh, my regimental Sergeant Zippo is is um, very entertaining, but it is a, a rip-off of um, what was happening at the time. Um, and I know Elton has um, said subsequently that he found all that psychedelic stuff a bit embarrassing, so I am surprised that it subsequently same came out, uh, I think, Record Store Day, uh, and has now come out on the full stereo mono CD release. Um, this has got Caleb Quay on there, who's also featured in his own right on the compilation, as well as members of the Mirage who are also featured on the compilation. But um, yeah, you can hear him scratching around for direction, and it's got a kind of slightly dramatic vocal, which doesn't really fit in with it with the kind of woozy John Lennon style thing that was was popular at the time. So. He was searching for a direction, I think, and uh, wouldn't find it for a couple of years or so until his second album, in my opinion, which has got your song on it. But uh, this is still uh, an interesting failure, shall we say. It's a real curio piece, and working with great musicians like Caleb Quay as well. Yeah, Caleb Quay is on guitar on some of the tracks, um, and I think Ray Glynn from The Mirage also plays guitar on some tracks. Certainly, that's what he says. But yeah, Dick James had um, a talented backroom pool of staff, really. Um, so so yeah, he, he was given plenty of studio time, him and Bernie Taupin, to kind of try to find their way forward. And this was the result. But uh, as we said, it wasn't considered to be strong enough at the time, or possibly it's just that psychedelia moved, moved so fast that by the time he'd finished it, it, it had kind of been and gone. <laughs>
the great surprises for me was the success of the tremolos after splitting with brian paul to create a a second career and a a very good one but as the 60s progressed there was a lot of material that could be classed as psychedelia and it sounds brilliant and this is a great example being a suddenly winter yeah i think the band were always frustrated by the fact that they had to record these good time sort of party in the studio type singles I know Cat Stevens hated their, their version of Here Comes My Baby, his song, um, which was kind of like a, a kind of introverted ballad when he <laughs> recorded it and then didn't get all the matey thumbs up stuff in the studio. <laughs> so I can kind of understand both sides of it, really. The Tremolos did go on to make some good A-sides as well. Um, Call Me Number One. Call Me Number One is a great song, yeah, and it is kind of like that post-Beatles kind of thing where everything was up for grabs, you know, we can do what we want, but suddenly suddenly, Winter is the B-side to Be Mine, which was a flop single, really, it was in this country, so yeah, obviously they let loose on this B-side, it'd be a couple of years before they tried to ditch the old sound and and said that they'd been making music for morons, which is uh, how to kill your career in one one easy left. They refused to release Yellow River, which would have been a big hit for them. Again, again, uh, yeah, Yellow River is a great bubblegum song, yeah. um, and they just gave it away, really, uh, and let another vocal be superimposed over their, their recording. Um, 
Although it is strange because two years later they were back to making bubblegum pop singles again. So I, I think they were a bit confused. They took success for granted. They thought we can do anything and still be popular. And then they found out that um, it wasn't quite like that. And they went back to, to recording pop-based singles again, but they couldn't get their market back. As a group in terms of singing and, and playing their instruments, uh, top draw. That's right. I mean, they'd been uh, recording for years anyway with Brian Paul. They'd been a, a tight little group. Obviously, they'd won out over the Beatles famously in the Decca auditions back in 62. So they could all play. Rick, Rick West, or Rick Westwood, um, as he's sometimes known, um, was an excellent guitarist, very highly regarded in the business, but the tremolos themselves were kind of looked down on, you know, by the people who were buying Hendrix records and Pink Floyd records, etc. So again, um, as with Dave D. Dozabeek and McIntyre, it's nice to have the tremolos on here to say, well, this is what they were capable of in 67. <laughs> Closing with a great period piece for me, and, and it's worth covering the film as well, which is a great watch and really does embody the time. We've got Peter Cook and Dudley Moore and Bedazzled. Yeah, I was tempted to go for the LS Bumblebee, which is another classic psychedelic spoof, but I used that when, when I worked on the, the Mojo box set, Acid Drops, over 20 years ago. So I thought maybe, maybe um, find room for Bedazzled, which is just a wonderful song. And uh, yeah, anybody who doesn't what, ha, doesn't know the film, well, uh, it's heavily recommended. Uh, set in Swinging London, of course, um, and with Peter Cook as the devil. <laughs> and, uh, 
And uh, Dudley Moore as, as some kind of uh, fast food cook who finds it difficult to approach women. So, so, so one of the the devil grants him seven wishes, and one of those is is um, Dudley Moore as a pop star. But he's um, quickly sort of um, outshone by a new band, Rimble Wedge and the Vegetation. And uh, Rimble Wedge is the uh, Peter Cook character who, um, well, as you can hear from the song, delivers um, lyrics about how bored he is with everything and everybody around him. Again, a classic, uh, classic song. And uh, I thought it'd be nice to end the, uh, the CD with that. Fantastic. Well, um, while you're getting your hands on, Too Much Sun Will Burn, the British psychedelic sounds of 1967. I highly recommend uh, viewing Bedazzled, which has been on YouTube. I assume it still is, and it is definitely worth a watch if it is still available. David, thank you so much for your time. It's a real pleasure to investigate this remarkable year of music. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Always a pleasure. Thanks, then. Okay. for listening to the strange brew podcast if you do like the show please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online it's 10 years since i started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time all your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests to support me just go to the strangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the home page thank you very much Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. 
Thank you.